breathing space contains mature content such as adult language, sexual situations, violence, and substance use. Additional sensory contact warnings can be found in the show notes. I ain't got no home to go to, I ain't got nothing to sell, but my stars will never leave me, even when I'm sold to hell. I was born under a blue sky, and I'll die out in the black. When I'm gone, don't no one mourn me, cause my debts will drag me Jesse Fry. My friends call me. Flash! I've been a cook nearly everywhere, from high Luna orbit to long haul chuck wagons. And the most important thing I've learned from Mercury to Terminal Station, we all eat. Now I'm traveling all around the system looking for the best places to eat, drink, and come together. Join me as we find the best ways to spend our Delta V and find the home we carried with us into the black. Delta V Dining, coming this spring to your Red Line Terminal. So I'm about 300 meters spinward past docking complex 2B here in Rezanov Station. Machine shops, storage facilities, pod hotels, the usual kind of things you'd expect a tired long hauler to stop over in for a shower and a refresh. Plenty of NEM joints, fast and cheap food for hungry people. Lots of vending machines and slapdash storefronts jostling for your cash. Which means, unless you know what you're looking for, it's easy to miss the little enamel and metal sign for Vientian Cafe and some damn good eating. Rezanov Station, built in the early expansion to be the counter to series for folks heading outwards or inwards. It even predates a lot of the NEM and bioprinting that's so common now. Wheat, soybeans, fresh greens, chickens, and pigs. Which is probably why a place like Vientian Cafe remains possible today. Without the agring, I don't think we'd be able to keep making the food we make here. But bringing that taste of home with us was so important to my great-grandparents, and making this food helps me make the station home to so many people. 
So, Sum, what are we making today? This is my personal comfort food, cow soy. Probably the first dish my grandma taught me. Wow, that broth smells amazing. That's a basic broth we just keep going. Chicken carcasses, fish stock, some sugar, thyme. Thyme? <laughs> no, thyme. Tell me about this over here. Pork mince added to the garlic and onion that was softening. Yeah, cook it like that to get a nice brown. Mm, smells incredible. Oh, just wait. That looks about done. Let's add the rest. Wow, that's got a great color to it. Crushed tomatoes, fermented soybeans, some soy sauce. It's hard to get black pepper routinely, but I get some excellent Aleppo pepper from the third ring here. Not exactly the same as Earthside, but... Hey, you're making it your own. Yeah, something like that. Now, this is my grandmother's recipe, but my father, he's Thai. At this point, he'd insist we add some coconut milk, but we only get the bad canned stuff out here, and maybe twice a year at that. But what about the ag ring? Turns out there's one place that coconuts don't grow well, and that's space. Who knew? I do like it a little creamy, though, so I'm going to add just the tiniest bit of Martian shelf-stable cream. I have to say, I love how you're taking different threads of your heritage and weaving something entirely your own. Food is culture. So, anything special here? No, basic rice noodles. Really quick to cook and serve. Housemade. Hey, that's faster than instant ramen. This is where we put it all together. Soup base, noodles, and... Top it with the sauce. Yep. Put it out with the toppings. Hit it with some of this chili oil if you want. Mm. Oh, man. Oh, wow. This is something else. <laughs> Cafe Vientiane is a very traditional Laotian restaurant name, right? It is, and it's a good name with the solid history, but the actual cuisine we serve has changed and adapted over the years as we add different cultures and traditions into our family. I mentioned my father was Thai. My grandfather on my mom's side was Nigerian. Aha! Thus the jollof rice. Exactly. There are so many good things to eat here, but if I were a long hauler, I could see myself spending the extra Delta V just to stop over here on Rezanov and eat at Vientiane. How do you think I make most of my business? <laughs> oh, try this too. Capmo, fresh from the fryer. <clears throat> I never want to leave. <laughs>
the Demir dynasty realized that everything they did and everything they owned needed to serve as many purposes as possible. And that is why goats are the one big animal on the station. They do a lot here. Our goat enclosure is right next to the crash, for a number of reasons. It's great enrichment for the kids and the goats. It also gives us the opportunity to acclimate the goats to all sorts of humans from day one. Yeah, I made a bit of a mistake when we went into the pen back there. <laughs> Fingers look remarkably like teats to a five-day-old goat. I, uh, had my hands full. <laughs> oh, we all do with these creatures. They need new challenges and new entertainment, or else they start making their own fun. Houdini could take a lesson from these ladies. I think they stage a prison break every week or two. I mean, it's not exactly diatoma, but still. So, you make cheese? We make cheese, natural cashmere, various other dairy products, and then of course, there's the meat, on occasion. But really, it's all about the dairy for us. So, what are we making today? Today, we're making one of my favorites, Monty. Monty, they're like dumplings, right? Yes, something like the ancestor of dumplings, ravioli, pierogi. Stuffed dough, it's a human constant. So, Monty are Turkish, correct? Yes, though much of the old Middle East lays claim to them. It's the flavors that make this ours, though. We start with the dough. This looks like a pasta dough? We've played with the recipe a bit. It's easier to get the nem in the right consistency lately than to try and rely on access to the right wheat flour and eggs. Special occasions, yes, but on a day-to-day -day basis, this is just fine. All right, so this is nice and flat and we've cut little rounds. What's next? Time for the filling. Mmm, that smells wonderful. Mmm, the goat cheese definitely comes out first, but there's a lot going on in there. Air-fried shallots and garlic, fresh and dried mint, and some lemon zest. The goat cheese is doing most of the work, I think. Yeah, there's a... Farmyard. It's the way we describe it. Farmyard is the absolute perfect word. Okay, I see what you're doing. It's like little purses you pinch up around. It's a great thing to focus on. And now we give them a quick boil. So these are the Monty with... What's this sauce? So it's tomatoes, lemon juice, chili, oil, and nar ekshisi. And that is? Pomegranate molasses. It's in half the things we cook here. Very important. Mmm. It's got a deep base counterpoint to the bright acid, but they both really balance out the goat cheese flavors. That is so satisfying. <laughs> oh! <laughs> you did mention they were escape artists, didn't you? <laughs> yes, that's Hazal. She's the worst of them. Oh, no, 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 not the Monty! Hey, welcome. Eros, Venus, or Jupiter? That's what you'll be greeted with when you step into Demos Delights at the corner of Kelly Boulevard and Stockman Street in the Conrad Dome of New Philadelphia. An open door, a big smile for my friend BF, and a tumble of smells, ranging from almond praline to white chocolate fudge. And even though the seasons are centrally controlled on Mars, it is never the wrong time of year 
or ice cream here in New Philly. So, what can I get you? Oh, let's see. Triple chocolate. Caramel iced latte. I'm gonna need a minute. When the Brazilian gauchos first started bringing beef cattle production to Mars, people thought they were crazy. The domes had only just been sealed, so the idea of bringing hundreds of large livestock into the mix? Well, both sides were a little bit right in the fullness of time. The first few generations of Planitian shorthorn cattle were the product of artificial wounds, but still growing the whole cow the slow way. And that, of course, meant they also needed a large supply of dairy milk. The bioengineering department at the Universidad de Sao Paulo had a solution to that. Dairy milk, but produced by bioengineered yeast. With some careful tailoring, they could make an incredibly nutritious product perfect for quickly growing large animals. But then, as we all know, the Martian beef industry mostly switched from whole animals to vat-grown meat. Some of that was the question of the morality of raising large animals for slaughter. Some was the logistics of raising cows here, without enough production of forage to really make good meat. And the rest, of course, was basically just profit margin. That left the dairy labs with a challenge. There had been a lot of investment into the infrastructure, and Martians never let useful tools go to waste. There was a feedstock for the yeast, clean labs with a lot of production ceiling left unused, and a booming population of settlers, second-generation Martians, and beyond. So, what happened next, BF? Well, you can see it all around us. New Philadelphia is the city that came up around the original milk biofactories, and that's where a lot of the dairies have set up shop ever since. A lot of the dairies just built pipelines directly to the dairy vats for the baseline product. Pure, clean, lactose-free milk. New Philadelphia produces over a million metric tons of cheese and cheese products per Martian year, most of which goes off-world. I have definitely seen New Philadelphia cream cheese on Triton. But we are not here to talk about appropriate bagel toppings. Where are we today? We're at a special dairy biofactory that makes Demos Delights possible. Some folks call it Wonka Lab because it's where we teach yeast to make flavors. How did that start? It all began with the frosty pod rot outbreak on Earth about 70 years ago. Cacao production dropped by 95% as entire plantations had to be destroyed. A lot of folks thought chocolate was going to go completely extinct. They were holding funeral processions on Halloween, according to my grandma. The new hybridized cacao plantations are starting to recover to pre-outbreak levels, luckily. Such a relief. But some of the food science folks here thought if we can make milk, why can't we make the things that make up chocolate flavor? And that's how Wonka Lab started. Yeast made cocoa liquor. But that really was just the start. So, how do we get from there to ice cream? What makes your ice cream Philadelphia style? Let's head back to the kitchen so I can show you. Wow, that's a lot of freezers. Welcome to the coldest part of New Philadelphia. Inside the domes, anyway. So, ice cream. We start with the custard base, right? But I don't see any eggs. It's our own family recipe, if you believe the history books. We make Philadelphia-style ice cream, which uses a base of just milk, 
cream, and sugar. It's a little bit icier than a custard base, but it's a lot more freezer stable. And without the custard in the background, the actual ice cream flavor really comes out. And it's really called Philadelphia style? Really? Legend has it that my very own ancestor, Benjamin Franklin, invented it during a particularly hot summer in old Philadelphia. So, BF. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so, what are we making today? We're combining two different ice creams to make one of my personal favorites, Rocky Belt. Over here we've got the dark chocolate base that we've already started chilling and churning, but let's get the vanilla going too. Pull that lever there. Okay. Wow, that's amazing. That vanilla smell comes just from the yeast? That's right. There are only a few flavors they haven't managed to get out of the vat so far, mostly citrus and herbs. We still have to make mint ice cream with real mint, but that's almost embarrassingly easy to grow. And the more locally grown flavors we have in cartons, the more this place really feels like New Philadelphia. All right, and once the two bases are frozen? We'll blend them in big swirls of brown and white and add popping candy and crunchy nut clusters and end up with this. We made this recipe in honor of the rock hoppers who bring us rare elements out of the belt and make life on Mars possible. Oh, that's got such a beautiful shine to it and... Oh, that is good chocolate. So smooth and no cheesiness. That's one thing we definitely have over traditional chocolate-making methods. We can just produce the end product directly, and we don't have to worry about conching or working to remove butyric acid or any of the other off flavors. Uh, conching? I don't think this is a chocolate-making episode, Jesse. <laughs> Fair enough. So, I have to ask, do you ever make astronaut ice cream? Well, actually, around Aphelion, the Martian New Year, we make a couple batches of candy cap ice cream, shape it into mushrooms, and freeze-dry them. But obviously those mostly stay on planet. Those are so cute. Candy caps are mushrooms? Yes. One of the traditional foods around Aphelion is freeze-dried mushrooms, which are usually savory. Candy caps are naturally sort of maple syrup flavored, and while we could just freeze-dry those, I think it's more fun to make into ice cream. Bring our own flavors to Aphelion, I guess. I am setting my calendar. Gotta make sure I'm around for the next Aphelion party. After the break, we'll learn about New Philly water ice, find some soft pretzels, and discover what the heck the word John really means. If you didn't see Jupiter up in the sky, standing outside Shepherd's Crossing on this quiet back street in Ganymede's commercial district, you could almost convince yourself that you're in Lunden. The cobbled street, the simulated gas lamps, and the 3D-printed Tudor-style wall panels have tricked more than a few passers-by into thinking that this is just another knockoff English pub. But you've only got to walk by when the footy's on... to know that this is the real deal. Everyone knows how vital the Rigby Array is to cross-system communication. It is probably the most important data hub this side of the belt. 
the amount of work that went into building it and that goes into maintaining it means that Ganymede is a very busy place with folks from all over the system. I'm here at the Shepherd's Crossing pub to see a good friend of mine and the publican of this fine establishment, Dove Foster. Dove, tell me about Shepherd's Crossing. Hello, yes. So, we are a free house, possibly the only one in the outer system. We specialize in... Uh, free house? It's a legacy thing, you see. Don't mean much today, but back on Earth, it meant we weren't owned by a brewery and could serve whatever ales we wanted. Got it. Sorry, go on. Well, there's the ales and beers, of course, and also the hot pies. (laughs) And that. Yes, the footy. All the Premier League and Champions League games direct from the relay. And the food. The food. We specialize in pies. Not fruit pies, though. Well, sometimes, but mostly savory pies. Hot water crust for the structure. Tell me a little about that. How does that differ from what people usually think of as pies? So, your thrice-fried pie. The pie dough there, they work fat into the flour cold, then add cold water too. Which builds lamination, but also keeps a lot of the gluten from forming. Correct. That gives you flakiness and crispiness, but that's generally not what you want for something savory and potentially about as wet as a stew. So, a hot water crust is hot fat? Well, let's go make some, shall we? So, the first step, we're going to add this very high-quality beef suet. Thank you for bringing that in from Mars. We're going to add this to this boiling water. Stir that until it's fully melted. Okay, got it. Right, now that's ready, we'll add it to the flour here. Doesn't this get... gluey? It does, but that's what we want in this case. Everything should stay inside the pie as it cooks. We stir this until it's workable, and also not too hot to work. That should be about right. Oh, it feels like a towel right out of the dryer. Oh, that's perfect then. We'll knead it a bit just to get it all stuck together. All right, cut about a third off of that and stick it under the mixing bowl so that it doesn't dry out. Okay, and now we roll it out, right? Yes. We're aiming for rectangular shape. This pie is going to be a loaf shape. It's going in this mold right here. Good, yes. Oh, that's pretty. It's a family heirloom. Tins last a very long time if they're used consistently. All right. Now that it's lined, what are we filling it with? Well, the fresh food networks are struggling a bit lately. Yukon Logistics and Nutrition Express has a backlog. So, instead of chicken and mushroom, we'll be doing chicknem and mushroom. It would be minced anyway, so close enough. Okay, let's see. Mmm, that's pretty good nem, all told. Good mushroom flavor, too. And what's the onion in there? At leek, actually, grown right here on Ganymede. And the creaminess? A basic bechamel, Martian cream, vegetable scrap stock, and mustard. This is very satisfying already. All right, now we roll out and crimp down the top. Yes, like that. And we have to remember to cut some vent holes. And into the oven. Let's have a pint while we wait. So, how did the Fosters end up with the pub? 
When the second phase of the Rigby Array started construction, a lot of people in broadcasting were looking for work. Auntie Beeb had been scrapped for parts as the government tried desperately to hold itself together for more than six months at a time. So, even though it was a corporate town, Ganymede looked pretty appealing to my great-grandfather. Stable paycheck, guaranteed work, far too much work to do, in fact. So he came out to work on the array? Indeed. And after ten years as a vac suit welder, he'd built enough of a stake to retire from construction. And had a young family out here, so there was really no going back. But he missed the footy. And thus the pub. A little bit of home. It's all well and good watching a match at home, but being around other supporters, or even just friends, well, it's a different experience. Roger taught himself to bake all sorts of pies, not just the basics, but Bedfordshire clangers, cold pork pies, stargazy. I am going to need to look some of those up. (laughs) So the pub has stayed in the family for... 80 years or so, still an independent lease from the Ganymede Corporate Board. And what about your beers? We get what we can, but I try to curate it a bit. Whenever the Neptune Cycler comes through, they always drop off a car scale that would win any real ale competition. Obviously, we try to source local, since shipping what is fundamentally just water with impurities is expensive. Unless you're already going that direction. The tap handles look the right out of a London pub, though. That's just boffo, but it gets the mood right. Ah... Here's the pie. Mmm. Look at the steam coming out of the vents. It smells great. Let's just cut in. See how the crust supports the filling? No soggy bottoms. These flavors work great together. Classic chicken and mushrooms. And this Neptunian ale. What's the brewery? It's, uh, oh yes, the freighter should have taken a left. They are great people. Well, it's closing time, and you know what that means. Oh, can I do it? Of course. Time, gentlefolk, please! Coming up, we find the best pizza on Ganymede and visit a venerable old reporter's bar. When you think of Raven Station, well, I bet most of you don't ever think of Raven Station. Or maybe you've watched Escape from Raven Station or Stellar Patrol Raven Station, or you've read a couple of the newsfeed stories on the more heated sites. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that Two Palace is the safest place in the system, but it's not anywhere near as bad as you might think. And just like every station I've been to, There are people working to make things better and cooking great food. Like a lot of these stories, it all started with a cup of coffee, or in this case, a cafecito. My friend Avram has been on Raven Station for just over four of its orbits, and his restaurant, The Half Moon, is probably the only place, well, possibly in the whole system, where you can find his unique combination of Cuban and Sephardic cuisine. That was our original plan with the Half Moon. We'd even shipped an entire on-site crew out here last year, but 
After a few thimbles of the rocket fuel he calls coffee, Avram told us to come back in seven months to see and taste the thing he's most proud of. Year after year, or whatever passes for a year, I'll let the rabbis sort that out. <laughs> we are obligated to tell a story. It is the story of our departure from Egypt, the story of slavery and redemption from bondage. We speak of being and of doing and of trusting in inexplicable things. We tell it every year because each year of our lives, our understanding and view of our worlds change. As our views change, we understand slavery differently. We understand Hashem or your deity or deities of choice differently. And even what it means to be redeemed. In telling the story year to year, from one generation to the next, through good times and bad times, we forge a link through the ages and across space. One unbroken chain. Does it lead back to Egypt? Did Joseph dream? Aren't you just here for the wine? <laughs> Let all who are hungry come and eat. The Half Moon normally serves standard Cuban fare. Rice and beans, reconstituted plantain, a surprisingly good nem-based ropa vieja, and whatever else is feasible with Palace's orbit. And if you're a friend, or if you're there on a Sunday, Avram mixes in some Sephardi cuisine. Cuban mojo mixing with saffron and couscous and pescado frito. But approximately every 843 Earth days, its orbit intersects with the system ecliptic plane and lines up with the flight path of the Neptune cycler never studied the law of gravity. So, Avram, how did Raven Station Passover start? Luck. Happenstance. Mana from heaven, maybe? That'd be appropriate. We'd had the restaurant going for about three years by then. Three quarters of a palace year, of course. I'd had a few small satyrs in the meantime, but eh, you do what you can. Those were some hard years. Anyway. The Neptune Cycler comes by as it does twice a palace year, loaded with tons of nem and blast frozen food from the hydroponics colonies, and a big crop of the new low-water almonds from Mars. But they've got a problem. One of their freezers has sh-crapped the bed, so they need to unload a lot of spring vegetables right away, before they can get to the next port. I helped them with the problem. But then I had a container full of vegetables that needed using, so I threw a Passover feast for the station. Problem solved. Just like that? There's a few things I'm glossing over, just being mindful of your legal department. But, uh, what about the... I also don't want to draw attention, unnecessary attention, to some things. I'm sure you have some viewers here on Raven Station, but... Let's say that sometimes there's other cargo that comes through here that some people wish to help. Cargo that is in a situation relevant to the Passover story. Fair enough. It became a tradition after that. 
we turn our menu from Cuban to Sephardi for one week and loosely follow the rules. No leavened bread, mainly. Being Sephardi means we can ignore some of the other bits. Rice is still fine, or any other grains that didn't exist to the folks writing the Torah. I thought that seders were usually just the first night. Some folks do that. Some do first and second. We started out with just one, but by the third time around, we had so many folks who wanted to pull up a chair that we did a few seatings. And now, well, we start the first night and stretch the seder out over the whole week. I mean, why not? We're in space. Sounds like quite a party. Well, if you join up on the last night, you might have to down three glasses of wine in a row just to catch up. And you don't have to stay the whole time. This isn't proselytizing. But if you can stay for the story and for the discussion, some Raven Station choros could put Enoch Ben Moshe on his heels with their analysis. Let me tell you. I have to be honest. I don't think I know much about Cuban Jews. It's complicated, and now ancient history. Some came to Cuba from Brazil or Portugal in the 17th century. Some came south after Cuban independence. My own family, we came from Turkey when the Ottomans chased us out. And then most Cuban Jews left during the Cuban Revolution. I'm skipping a lot, of course. So, do you still have family on the Florida archipelago? <laughs> no. My family tends to get out of a bad situation as it's going bad. Not afterwards. I'm the black sheep, apparently. Well, I wouldn't call what you built here a bad situation. How did you end up on Palace anyway? How did we get here? Well, about 20 years ago, we'd signed up with a startup to go mine a motherload of lithium on a belt object. 30 or 40 of us shipped out to Palace to collect ourselves and the equipment that was being brought in. Trouble was... While we were in transit, the owner got stitched up for insider trading and stock price manipulation. So, by the time we arrived here on Raven, the entire LLC had been sold to Ceres Minerals, and our contracts had been voided. And you were stuck. We were flat, broke rockhoppers without even a contract to borrow against with a payday lender. A few people had just enough to go anywhere else on a commercial flight, but the rest of us? Well, we had to hope that the next Neptune cycler would come by soon, because if we wanted off this rock, that was all we would be able to afford. So some of your group left as soon as they could? Why didn't you leave too? By then, I'd gotten the restaurant going, and Nina and I had settled down, and, well... Better the devil you know, I suppose. But going back to your original question, I don't think stuck is the right word. We'd found people we could help with a hot meal or with some timely interventions, and many of them became family in one way or another. So, what's on the menu this year? All the traditional components, of course. We've got the Seder plate, haroset, maror, matzah. Ooh, matzah. You goyim do love that stuff. It's on par with survival biscuits and about as durable. You know how I say, let all who are hungry come and eat. You've got to be hungry to want to eat that building material. Hey now, I am always hungry. Anyway, matzah ball soup too. 
of course. Alcachofa de Trieste. It's a spring vegetable stew. Thanks to the Neptune Cycler providing us with baby artichokes and asparagus this time around. That's Nina's side of the family. Italian Jews. And orange and almond cake. Now that's our little grove of sour oranges doing well. Sounds delicious. And easy to scale. Yes. We've had some help from... Uh... <laughs> On station friends, sourcing the amount of wine we need to do this whole thing. Speaking of, time to go bless the second cup. After the break, we bake some Sephardic orange and almond cake, talk to Rabbi Kelly about where Nem falls in kosher law, and then I help supervise the Raven Station office. The Backlot. Gently orbiting the planet named after the goddess of love, a thousand dreams are dreamed here every day. It's the home of many of the big players in the screen industry, including an increasing presence by the Udios and countless independent studios hoping to strike it big. And then there's all the trades. Rigging, lighting, set building, and the artists who turn words into virtual or physical reality. And of course, rampaging hordes of actors looking for a part. Studio 17 needs three male presenting actors, large body type for a background conversation. Studio 22 needs five dancers with stage combat training, no feature specified for a zero-G musical fight scene. Studio 192 needs an athletic type female presenting and two more actors. No features specified for a sports scene. A pre-screening of Palaces of Mars will be held tonight at 1745 in Black Box 34 with focus group discussion afterwards. But after a hard morning of trying out for parts and jostling for screen time, there's only one place you can come where egos and credits are left at the door. A-listers and U5 sit next to each other, and the only thing that matters is what's coming off of Sam's griddle. The first thing that hits you when you visit Sam's place is the location. We're in what's called the workshop, the area of the back lot where props, set dressing, and practical effects are designed and built. Sam's Place is just around the corner from the main freight elevator, a prime location for anyone who needs to move heavy equipment up to the studios or back down for storage or repair. So the fact that this prime real estate is devoted to a diner should tell you all you need to know. The second thing you'd notice, it's crowded. Okay, starting lunch now. If you got an early call, come to the front. And take it easy, you're all getting fed. Anybody who's got an early call, come to the front. Don't worry, you're all gonna eat. So, yeah. I waited until after the lunch rush. Well, waited is a strong word. I went in and had a burger. And some fries. And maybe a black and white. Flash, you sly bastard. Been a while. You on the back lots working this time? Uh, just 
fucking around, like usual. Uh, 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 don't answer that. When's Lighting the Furnace Season 3 shooting? Come on. Oh, um, I'm, I, um, I'm actually on hiatus from that show while I'm doing this. You know, it's nice to stretch my legs and get around the system, but, uh, I see some new faces on the Wall of Fame. You heard about UConn's contract buyout on Love at L4, right? So many recasts, it's basically a reboot at this point. Eh, you know, rules is rules. If you get the part, your headshot goes on a mannequin. That's right. Have you added more mannequins to the window since I was here? Nah, been the same for years now. What about the maquettes over there? They move around a bit, you know, seasonal poses, whatnot. Uh, no new additions. Huh. Sorry, it, it feels different somehow. Boy, you kids. Everyone who makes it big and then comes back to visit says the same thing. You know, uh, one one smart fella, I, uh, what's his name, uh, Sally Dowdy or whatever. I had something about persistence of memory. All I know is, the same meal will taste ten times better to a hungry kid. The only thing that changes around here is who's sitting at the tables. You know, and uh, occasionally the menu, uh, when I get bored. But, uh, not the burgers, right? Never the burgers. You know, even though I'm sure the eight-back folks would like me to stop burning through the filters. So, you've told me the story of how this place got started, but let's go through it again for the audience. You were one of the first designers on the back lot, right? For the audience. Uh, I was one of the first practical effects artists on the station. Yeah, that's right. I thought maybe an actor, too, at one point, but a couple of 3 a.m. calls and a couple more times getting turned down. You know, after four or five callbacks, I realized I liked it better in the shop. I make the rules and the hours. You know, acting is a lot of hurry up and wait. I ain't patient enough for that shit. More consistent paycheck didn't hurt neither. Well, I'm sure everyone's familiar with your later work, but even your first major award for Make Makes Lament, folks in the industry were putting you up there with Phil Tippett, Robert Hall, and Ray Harryhausen. Ah, stop it. Ah, I, you know, I... It's just that standing on the shoulders of giants shit. You did amazing work. Don't discount that. Well... You know, you're bound to. You're in the business for 40 years. That's pretty amazing if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm grateful. For every day. So, how did all of this happen? Well, I, I think the idea came to me when I was cooking for my own retirement party. Right back there in the kitchen. I was packed and on my way out the door. Gonna go somewhere, you know, with beaches, environmental controls, keeping it at a nice 26 degrees. But then, you know, hearing all my friends talking out there, suddenly, uh, you know, a place on Luna, 
Gaffer Finn, the Florida Archipelago. <laughs> no, no way. Ugh, Florida. So I got thinking. I got a decent bank account, a space that's still mine, you know, and all the free entertainment I could handle if I got bored. And some of the happiest times I've had here on the back lots were, you know, rap parties right here in the shop. God knows actors always need a good solid meal, especially the new ones on station. It can be hard starting out. Yeah, uh, anyway, I canceled my shuttle, I bought some furniture, I pulled the mannequins out of the trash, and I just started cooking for folks. You know, just lunch at first, yeah, testing the water. I didn't charge, not not at first. I, I just had an old hat in Bill's hand over there. The creature from Enceladus? Yeah, that's Bill. He was holding the hat, and occasionally people would put money in it. I didn't need it. But when I told people to stop, they said it was to cover the lunch of someone who couldn't afford it. I even put Bill's hat away, but some mook grabbed another hat off of one of the mannequins and put it in his hands. What am I supposed to do about it? I think people like to know that they can pay when they're able. But I, I never ask. You get folks from all across the station here, including some who could pay for a burger without even blinking. Yeah, sure. But sometimes those same folks are starving two years later. You never know when you'll get the part. And as for losing your spot, well, it's 50-50 at best. But here, you know, a burger's always going to be a burger. You know, it's funny. I never hear shop talk in here, except when someone gets the part. It's a small station, but there's plenty of other places to talk shop. Here, you put down your worries, you take off the mask, and you rub elbows like a normal goddamn human being. Talk about, you know, home, some of the places you've traveled. Or, hey, here's an idea. Just shut up and listen for a bit. N n no work talk. That's my rule. And everybody follows my rules here. Not even if they're looking for advice from you? Listen, I hung up my spurs a long time ago. I just run a diner. They can watch any of the movies I worked on. But I'm done with that. And with the Udios moving in, well, <laughs> I'm holding on to this bit of humanity as long as I can. Coming up, we'll learn the secrets behind Sam's famous hamburgers. Oh, no, he won't. I'm taking that secret to my grave, and anybody that hears its grave. Uh, uh oh, um... Uh, don't worry, don't worry. You know, we'll do, we'll do the meatloaf sandwich. How about that? Meatloaf sandwich it is. And the shakes? Uh, you, you, you're breaking my balls here. Uh, fine, sure. We can do the shakes, too. It's been said that true beer nerds will chase a white whale halfway across the system. Well, for this particular brew, you'll really have to. Auto Station, a revolutionary permanent atmospheric condensing and collecting station being built in the low-pressure stratosphere of Neptune. Using an angled ram-scoop fusion hybrid drive for the lift and propulsion, it will circle the planet continuously gathering deuterium from the heart of the gas giant to power the hearts of the Sunwood industry. Well, we know how that turned out. 
But even with the ongoing challenges of mining gas giants, the Neptune Cycler is still one of the most important long-haul freight routes in the system today. With an average return time of 18 months, this is far from a Yukon drop pod, but what they lack in speed, they more than make up for in... Volume! We're here today on the freighter should have taken a left to meet my friend Maria, head brewer on board and the person responsible for one of the most sought-after beers in the system. Hey, Jesse. Glad our orbits matched. Me too. The first time we met, it was when the ABQ and my chuck wagon's trails intersected. Pure luck on our part, but that transfer kept us in beer for a solid six months. Good thing there was an ice hauler docked up with us to transfer the water over. I remember you had an awful mustache back then. I miss that soup strainer. <laughs> Seems like you've made some improvements to the brew house since the last time I was on board, though. Yeah. Back at the beginning, we were still experimenting with zero-G brewing. Spherical fermentation tanks, a centrifuge for dropping bright, and some heavily modified yeast that made a bioraft in the middle. Turns out, just inducing spin gravity was our better option. Why's that? Dissolved gases do weird things in water in zero-G. They just don't know where to go if there's no up. And all the things we were doing to work around the old Earth methods were just adding opportunities for contamination. We have to be pretty conservative in a closed-loop system like this. Even on a heavily controlled environment like a freighter? <laughs> we're not wearing bunny suits or anything. I heard of one brewery on Earth a few centuries back that brewed a beer from the yeast in the brewer's beard. Maybe we should have tried that with your mustache. Oh, what? <laughs> the point is, people have still got microbiomes. This stuff we load and unload has bugs, too. But that's a solved problem. We were just trying to over-engineer things. Beer doesn't have to be that complicated. You say that, but your flagship beer has one of the most interesting stories any beer has ever had, probably. It's just a logical extension of the traditional India Pale Ale, really. But, you know, in space. Yeah? So, back in the British Empire, they had a problem with their soldiers stationed in India getting desperate for drinks and doing incredibly stupid things, like tying off a date palm frond and leaving in the sun for a day or two and drinking the result. It ended up being somewhere between prison line, Eric, and paint stripper. But there was no way to grow barley or hops in India at the time, and almost no beers would survive the journey to India from England in a drinkable fashion. So some brewers developed a new pale ale with a much higher gravity and hop content in order to prevent spoilage on the three-month trip by sea. And some people swore that it was better aged like that. Resistant to spoilage, enough high-intensity flavors to hide any minor contamination, and won't melt your brain in the process. The more things change, the more they stay the same, huh? Speaking of which, let's go get a drink. I wish you could all smell what I'm smelling right now. That wall of barrels over there is just filling this whole bay with toasted oak and maltiness. That's roughly a thousand barrels of Martian oak from New Louisville. 
and it represents a quarter of our wood aging program at the moment. Martian oak? Yeah. There was some fighting a ways back about New Louisville trying to claim what they were making was bourbon. And the eventual compromise was that they'd force grow their own oak so that they could use new wood. But that means they have lots of barrels to offload. Some goes to the barbecues. But we grab as many good barrels as we can every time we go by. So what's special about Martian oak? Well, like all low-gravity wood, it's a lot more porous than its terrestrial ancestors. But it's not much more fragile. And how's that affect the beer? For one thing, we end up with a bit higher alcohol content. It's not something we targeted specifically, just a happy outcome of the aging process when you're using porous wood. But it also gets a stronger wood flavor in there because of how the liquids flow in and out of the barrel walls. Oh, that is gorgeous. Sort of a deep golden color with an off-white head of foam. This is a good batch. Four months in that wall over there, with a load of hops we picked up at the European Hydro Farms, a distant descendant of the classic East Kent Golding. So it's our own Neptunian Pale Ale, but with a clear historic line to Burton. Mm. You get that lavender and spice aroma, but with a honey undertone. Yeah, that's sort of the East Kent Golding signature for sure. Mmm, and the flavor. Not too bitter. Lot of earthiness, but with a hint of sweetness, too. Some of that's the wood, but yeah, our yeast ferment's pretty clean, so you get a lot of the hops and the malt in there. After the break, we'll take a tour of the only traveling malt house in the system, and then we'll visit the kitchens to bake some spent grain bread. Stay tuned. Bronco busting. It's hard work. Work done by people comfortable being in constant danger so that settlements can get water and minerals. Their ships don't waste space on fancy bioprinters, there aren't many creature comforts, and the water is recycled so much that you can taste the oxygen getting thin, which is why every vaquero knows, and loves, the sound of a chuck wagon. When you've spent six months eating nothing but freeze-dried meatloaf, and you finished your last bottle of New Kentucky eight weeks ago, but you've still got two more months to go on the Saturnian Drive, you find yourself praying to any deity that might be listening that a chuck wagon will roll into range. Chuck wagons started out as water haulers themselves, but just like with denim jeans, folks realized that you could be out doing the dirty work or you could make a life making other people's lives a little easier. So they put Atmo in the cargo vaults, spun them up to a decent gravity, and started figuring out what a vaquero covered in comet dust would need to feel like a million bucks again. My guide today is Captain Carmine Earl. He and I go way back to my own chuck wagon days. And your cooking's gotten a bit better since then, I hope. <laughs> We've made some improvements since you were out riding the trail, too. Aquaponics? 
damn right. Closed-loop aquaponics. Around two metric tons of tilapia in the water and three different plant beds. Over there, you've got the shallow roots, what's called nutrient film technique, where we grow spinach, herbs, and strawberries. The other side, you can see the plant rafts where we get all the brassica you could ask for. The new system took some extra doing, had to lift and sanitize a god-awful amount of soil, but... Oh, wow. Tomatoes in space. Aye. And soybeans, peppers, and even some ginger. The ag folks think we could even do potatoes with some careful planning. We're trying to outcompete the European hydroforms by sheer proximity. That is a lot to work with. Sure it is. We're outproducing crew consumption by a factor of five, though, so I'm not complaining. Between the grow rings and the cold storage and the larger ships, we're able to feed everyone who comes by and stay in the good graces of the eight-back technicians. And the? Them, too, yeah. Well, enough talking. Let's go eat. This is the common chow hall on the main concourse. Four right here, you've got the doctor in. Aft is the, uh, beauty district. You've got more than barbers, huh? Just keeping up with demand. You can get your nails done, your hair recolored, fresh ink, physio, or just a hot shave and a shower, if that's what you want. What about the gray water? That's where the other aqua loop comes in. We're doing biofiltering now. Oysters? Oh, yes. These are the number twos, just big enough to eat. We grade them up to seven. What do you do with the sevens? Let's just say Tostada Week is pretty great. Mm, these are spectacular. And they don't taste anything at all like someone's shower water. Filtering is what oysters are best at. After the break, we'll meet another old friend of mine who's been running the grill here for nearly 20 years see the fastest-moving bakery in the system, and taste what's been described as the next best thing to Vaquero Heaven. When you think of series, you think of, well, big automated ore refining plants, engineers with serious expressions, and industrial cafeterias. So you can imagine my surprise when we got a tip that Ceres was the new hotspot in the system for pop-up food trucks and some of the most innovative street food around. Of course, we had to check it out, and if anything, our tipster was underselling it. Welcome to the Ceres Rambles. We're here on Mac Gibson Boulevard in Engineering Dome 1 just to see what the heck is going on here on Ceres. And this is not the Ceres you've seen in the vids before. Gone are the harsh white LED banks and eye-watering sodium arc lamps, and in their place, amazing neon tube artistry, solar bulb installations, big and small food stalls as far as the eye can see, and meters and meters of murals down this main boulevard honoring the scientists and engineers that laid the foundations for our interplanetary community. We did some research, delicious, delicious research, when we got here. And eventually, we tracked down the food truck that everyone agrees was the catalyst for this cultural change. Akuna Lee, head chef and miracle worker of the Noodle Smelter. 
So, it all started when Pedal Heat had an onset accident and production stalled. They said it would only be a week or two, but that turned into a month, and then two. We were there to provide craft services to the production, but if they're not shooting, no one's eating. And if no one's eating, we don't get paid. We had a bit of padding in our bank account, but the last hold extension left us without enough to contract shipping space to the next site, even on a Neptunian cycler. Akuna, what was series like when you started out? Is it bad if I say depressing? <laughs> Maybe. Industrial chic, but without the chic. Identical corridors and alleys. People following their shifts to the microsecond, eating the same NEM at identical corporate cafeterias every cycle. We ate at a few when money started to get tight. And I'm not sure even the menu displays actually knew the difference between Taco Tuesday and Lasagna Sunday. Oof. Well, one day we were cooking outside our cubicle. Just a small, portable butane wok. Messing around with ideas. Joe, she's always playing with flavors and textures. Loves to experiment. Anyway, so this guy, he makes a beeline for us. Seems pretty pissed off. But as soon as he gets into smell range, his whole face changes. He says, Is that... Do I smell kimchi? And we're like, yeah. Grab a bowl and tuck in. Kimchi's the taste of home for so many people. Oh yeah. Absolutely foundational to some Earth cuisines. Chewan's always got something fermenting. Got us into trouble at biological control points a few times, but... Well, you gotta have it. Anyway, turns out this guy does double duty as a fire marshal and a magnetic induction smelter designer. So he's like, you really can't have a big open flame like this on series. But, I think I can make you something just as good. You know, maybe even better. No open flames. That's gotta be a challenge. Nah, just for a few things. There are plenty of environments around where they don't want you burning gas. The HVAC folks complain, or there's welding fuel around, or they've got older generation fire alarms. Or they just don't want you spraying aerosolized grease around during a sudden loss of gravity. Doing craft services, you learn to bend around whatever constraints the location throws your way. So what happened next? Well, next day he comes back with this hilarious steampunk-looking contraption that he plugs into a power port. And damn if he hasn't just knocked together an induction walk. It warmed up to 600 degrees in seconds, and the needle barely moved when we started cooking it. Best wok hay I've ever seen. I'm like, isn't this going to trip air quality sensors? And he says no. This place is equipped to blow away radon and arsene leaks. Well, a cooking smell isn't going to make anyone blink. And that's when we started cooking for folks. Just on the sidewalk? Yeah, right out there. And there were a few times where we thought we were going to get into trouble. But it turned out there were actually no rules about street food. Nobody had even thought to write them in. Because all of Sirius was just one big factory to begin with. Wow. How'd that turn out? Our friend did something very smart. There was a two-day Sirius Minerals Corporation board meeting. And he hired us to cater. But just the first day. Who followed you up? Well... It was food from the industrial kitchen. Aha, got it. That broke things open. Other people had gotten the taste for something other than rewarmed NEM and decided to bring their own kitchens out onto the street whenever they could. Sounds like a bit of a free-for-all. Yeah, sure. But still more mouths than cooks by then. 
So, Ceres Minerals dedicated a few streets specifically for us, and leased space in the nearby cafeteria for storage and prep. Well, I have to say, surprisingly reasonable rates for a company town. So, what about all of this art? It barely feels like Ceres here on the boulevard. That's following behind us a bit. Some folks like eating, but don't like cooking. And they felt left out of the creativity, I guess. It's in the same legal gray area as we were a few months ago. But I personally think the genie's out of the bottle. I think contentment can be contagious. So, what are we cooking today? Let's head on over to the truck. That is a great-looking device. This is the induction walk? Version 3, apparently. Some ergonomic improvements and some safety controls. Version 2, there was a ground fault, and the walk kind of, well, melted under us. That was exciting. I bet. Dinner and a show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Today we're doing some fun walking food. It's a bit of a twist on the bird's nest. Oh, careful. That oil is at temperature. Ooh. Thank you for the warning. No, that's my fault. Okay. We're going to take these prepared noodles, make a bit of a disc, and then press in on the middle to make a pocket. These are a little sticky. More gluten? More gluten. Some extra starch in the water. We really want them to hold together. Yeah, that looks great. Now, let's put in some of that filling. We're using them with kind of a seitan consistency that we've marinated in soy, sesame oil, and garlic. But if Mars was closer by, I'd probably throw in some bulgogi marinated steak. Pork belly's good, too. Yeah, just enough to be there. Put a bit of kimchi on there. Yeah, good. This kimchi smells incredible. Chewan's recipe? Oh, you know it. We had to rent a separate compartment for the fermentary. Some scent-averse folks were complaining. But good doors make good neighbors. I don't think I'd complain. I... Whew. I kind of want to bathe in this. Uh, that'd be tingly. Okay, okay. Final step. Crack an egg in there, and then close it up with some more noodles. Yeah, good. Time to fry? Time to fry. We slide them on in the spider here. And there it goes. Hmm. That smell would bring folks from streets away. Alright. That's probably about enough time. Let's fish them out and drop them on this rack over here. Just so we don't get a handful of hot oil. And while we're waiting... Let's talk about sauce. You've got a dip. You've got a dip. We're using basically a tanksiuk sauce today. Really not complicated to do. Just water, starch, soy sauce, vinegar, and sugar. When we're cooking on the street, we'll do a few different sauces, including ones for folks who like to burn their tongues off. Hey, there's nothing wrong with having options. And sometimes even a spice hound like me just wants something simple. All right. I think it's time to eat. Ooh, that is fun. It's like Korean taco meets Martian madness fried decadence. And the egg, I like that. It's acting as a binder, but also you get so much crispy, lacy fried egg edge because of how it went through the noodles. It worked out really well. And it's easy to carry around with you as you check out the latest artwork on the boulevard. And then come back for a second helping. I hope so. Coming up, we see what else is cooking on series, we'll check out the hottest pizza oven in the belt, and then I get to help paint a mural. 
guest list came out with Waste Station 237 on it, pretty much everyone thought it was a misprint. I thought it was supposed to be the waste stop just outside Mare Fecunditatis, but that closed six Earth months before. So when I learned that it really was a waste station market, I knew I had to come see for myself. Making the furnace list, making it to the top of the furnace list, means something, even if us cooks pretend not to care. So, let's check it out. Welcome to Waste Station Market 237. Make sure to try the limited edition Halloween pizza pretzels. Huh. Yep, it's a waste station, all right. Well, I do love a good pizza pretzel. We're not here to stock up on snacks. Well, not right now, at least. We do have a bit of a drive ahead of us to series. It's a rare sight. Long haulers rubbing elbows with cruise ship passengers and corporate executives. But that's a regular day here in Store 237. I'm here to meet my friend Deborah Broski, a staff writer who's been working on the furnace list for the last few cycles. Hey, Deb. Jesse, glad you could make it out here. Well, I have heard so much about it. I had to make a flying visit. I hope it meets your expectations. I think it's close to a meme at this point. <laughs> Before we get into the food, for the folks watching at home who might not be familiar with the furnace list, could you give us just a quick overview? Sure. If you aren't regular viewers of Lighting the Furnace, which Jesse helped judge last year, or if you aren't a frequent traveler around the system, you might have never heard of the furnace list. It started off as an internal list of food and refreshment locations that traveling executives of the Hephaestus Fuel Company were pre-approved to expense. But then we started taking it more seriously, looking at quality in addition to pre-approved vendor status. That became the furnace list. And it remained purely an in-house list until about a decade ago, when it was leaked online by a food blogger. The company tried to continue to keep it secret because of financial reasons. But then the marketing department decided that it was a useful public resource. And that's why this year we are officially making the list public along with these beautiful new placards that furnaceless inductees can hang in a prominent location. I know a lot of chefs who would sell their left arms to get one of those. <laughs> a diplomatic response for sure. Anyway, what got the furnaceless attention at Waystation Market number 237? So here's the thing. On the original expense list, all Waystations were approved for expense accounts. And they still are. Uh, on the other list... The other list? That's not really the fun list anymore. That really is just the pre-approved expense account list now. Right, okay. But this particular way station, well, it's got a unique history. The first terminal station comets came through here about the same time that Chef Noelia Luca was stopping by. Luca, she was the head of the way station market's test kitchen back then, right? Yes, and really the first person outside of terminal to see the culinary potential of the Starlight Truffle. Rifola terminus, the starlight truffle. Exclusively grown on terminal station, all attempts to cultivate them elsewhere have failed in various ways ranging from boring to downright disgusting. The origin is shrouded in mystery, and distribution is tightly controlled by the starlight truffle company and their system traveling representatives, the comets. 
We asked the Starlight Truffle Company their secret, and their media agent said, Grown with love, the terminal way. Please cease all further inquiry. And here we are, ready to actually try the dish that got Store 237 on the furnace list. It's a deceptively simple preparation. Really just a flatbread, but with some extra twists. The first ingredient that sets this apart is the water. Something in the mineral content of the ice water on this asteroid, the sourdough starter Chef Luca had with her just absolutely loved. To this day, the bread here is made with the child of that starter. Second, the trace mineral salts just really amp the flavor up to 11. And then there is that wonderful smell. The starlight truffle. No fancy extra steps there, just very gently sautéed with Martian butter and European garlic. Oh, that smell. It's just a little meaty, but more of a woody note. Let's give it a try. Mm. Yes. Oh, there we go. It's got like a chestnut and musk thing going on. Not like any mushroom I've had on Earth, that's for sure. And the way it blends with the gentle tang of the sourdough is just amazing. The kitchen does other things with the starlight truffle too, but this is what draws people from far away. I know one thing, I am definitely coming back. Coming up next, we'll learn the secrets behind the pizza pretzel crusted nem nuggets that really put Waystation Market 237 on the system map. Everyone knows about the Machado family, the gauchos who first brought beef cattle to the Red Planet. Martian dry-aged beef is at the top of every fancy restaurant menu from here to Luna. And while it may be a little less expensive here in Rio de Janeiro, we're not here for the picanha. It's Martian madness here on the Paseggiata, and it means we're hunting the most over-the-top, artery-hardening, dangerously delicious fried food the biggest street festival this side of the belt has to offer. The Paseggiata is a three-kilometer stretch of road in Rio de Janeiro, cutting through the very heart of the city. Usually a busy boulevard, during Martian Madness the whole thing is blocked off to vehicles and becomes one big, long and loud party. Now, it's not hard to find good food here even during the off-season. There are so many small family places stacked on top of each other, sometimes literally. But there are some things you can only get right here and right now. To help me out, I'm meeting up with my friend Stuart and his husband, Mateo, to get the lay of the land. Oh, we're so glad you came to see Martian Madness, Jesse. It's a really special time of the year. A lot of us make most of our income these three weeks. And then we catch up on our sleep the next couple of months. So uh, how many places are year-round here? I see so many tents and stalls on the street. A simple question with a complicated answer. I'd guess that about half of these pop-ups are run by the store that they're right next to. But then there's plenty of people like us who put up a stall for Martian Madness and then go back to our boring day jobs for the rest of the year. I mostly do quality control at the dairy plant, and Stuart does microchip design for Tetra Computing. 
That is quite a pivot to food service. My family has run this tent for three generations now. It's tradition as much as it is a money thing. But also, the more of us who stick around... The less space there is for you... Uh, corporate knockoffs. <laughs> that uh, seems to be a theme lately. But anyway, let's have some Martian Madness street food. Alright, so we'll start with one of the neighbors. The Fontes family was actually one of the original families of Gauchos, and they remain some of the leaders in beef production. There's a line of their family that's still heavily involved in the dairy yeast industry. Something I always look forward to them is the grilled sirloin on sugar cane. Ah, oh, it's so good. Oh, that smells Pavlovian. I'm drooling already. Let's see. Beef, mushrooms, red onion, some kind of... Sweet and vinegary glaze. Where's the sugarcane? It's the skewers. That's sugarcane? Mars doesn't seem like the right climate for that. As far as I understand, this is modified sugarcane that was originally actually grown as feedstock for the dairy yeast complex. They built these big solar concentrators over the sugarcane dome system because sugarcane likes it really hot and we're a bit further away from the sun than India. The extracted juice was okay, but eventually it was replaced by more concentrated feedstock. But Martians never throw something away if it's useful or tasty. So there's as much grown these days as still plenty around. Plus, the pulp makes great paper or charcoal. Well, that beef is delicious. What's next? Okay, so I don't get the appeal of this one personally, but some of my friends and plenty of customers get it every year. Deep fried butter. Be still my heart. No, seriously, I think it stopped in protest. It's pretty much exactly how it sounds. Frozen stick of butter, batter, fry until golden brown. I don't get it often, but when I do, I like double fried. You dip the fried butter in sugar cane juice, dip it back in the fryer for a few seconds, just to get a crackling crust. Uh, hey, Dr. Parsons, I definitely did not try this off camera. So there's no need to test my cholesterol this year, okay? Actually, Jesse, Martian butter doesn't have any cholesterol. One of the benefits of vat-grown dairy. Well then... Mm. Oh my god. That... That's a sometimes food. Wow. It's butter and a crust. Some people really like it, though. Wait, we haven't talked about what you do yet. We have to do that uh, before I, you know, run out of room. We do a traditional Brazilian street food, pastéis, but with a Martian twist, of course. That's a fried pastry, right? Yeah, so we start with a dough. It's just a basic quick dough flour, some shortening, and a little baking powder. And for the wet, we do hot water, egg, vinegar, and then a little bit of cachaça. Since we've got the cane juice around, we figured, why not? So what about the filling? Some savory, some sweet. We try to stick to one of each each year. I think last year we did whitefish and malaguetas. Uh, this year, ground beef and cajupiri. And what's that? It's a really soft uh, Brazilian cheese. It's low in acidity so that it doesn't break in the heat and steam inside the pastéis while it's frying. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. You wouldn't want cheese oil just sort of dribbling out. It's an easy cheese to make. Doesn't require much aging. I smell something else, too. Mm. Olives? And some pickled red onion, it looks like. 
that's actually my contribution to the family recipe. The pickled onion gives a really great crunch and some spark without it being too, uh... Oniony? Yeah, exactly. Here, try one. It's been out of the fryer for a minute now. Mmm, this is great. Crisp exterior, soft, fragrant interior. The cheese works with the beef instead of against it. And here's a really traditional pasté for dessert. More cheese, of course. But this time it's a firmer cheese related to Brazilian Minas cheese and guava paste to round it out. Mmm. Oh, hold on. That's reminding me of something. It's actually pretty similar to the popular Spanish cheese and quince pastry. Here, to wash it down, some caldo de cana. Mmm. That's sweet, but sharp, too. Ooh, that's growing on me. Sugarcane press and fresh lemon juice. Basically lemonade, really. Well, if you're at Martian Madness, you have to make sure to visit Mateo and Stuart and get some hot, fresh pastes. Because you can only get them during Martian Madness. Coming up, we take in a game and see what Martian Stadium food is like. Then we visit the first Martian Cachaca distillery. And then I meet up with some friends and PG players at a uniquely Martian churrasco. You double-checked this was the right address. Yeah. Callisto 242, third level. I I talked to Mr. Dietrich personally when we booked. How long ago was that? Three months. They, they can't have closed. They probably just relocated, right? Moved to a different compartment. Somebody has to know. I, I, I can go ask. Hey, hey, it's no problem, okay? It's not the first time a restaurant's just closed up shop. Actually, the whole corridor seems like it's vacant. I must have just gotten the address wrong. I'll, I'll find someone and ask. There's got to be someone. Somewhere. Maybe down another level. Just, uh, just wait here. I'll go. It'll just take a... I'll be right back. No, it's, it's okay. And they're gone. <clears throat> Production assistance. Ah, it'd be a shame to waste the trip out here. Bet we could find something to shoot. There's gotta be someone making good food on Callisto. Let's see if the feeds have anything. Park Parker? Hey, buddy, come back. You can't just leave like that. We've got expensive equipment. S slow down. Parker, breathe. Okay. Now what? Remarried? Yeah, that'd do it. Go ahead and see if anyone's got the com dress and we can reschedule. Sounds good. No, it's it it's fine. I've got it. Really. Really. Check back in when you hear more. I'll be here. Hmm. There's a donut place up two levels that looks good. Hey, you okay in there? I'm coming in. Uh, need to see if anyone's hurt. 
We've got a med kit in our on-site shoot bag. I... Huh. Looks like they turned their dining room into a commissary kitchen. That's a choice you can make. Could do a better job of keeping it clean, though. Or at least organized. Hello? You need some help? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I could... I could probably use some help. Hey, are are you okay? If if I move the shelf, is it going to cause a problem? No. No puncture. Just just stuck here. Don't don't move yet. Let me I'm fine. I it's it's fine. You sure? Yes. Yes, I'm fine. I'm uh... Wait, Jesse Fry? Y yes. I loved that episode with the with the goats on Terraria. <laughs> that was quite funny. <laughs> uh, really good food too, though. I bet. Always wish we could visit ourselves. Terraria is a great place. You should definitely go. Maybe, May maybe someday. Uh, Jasmine Duvalskin, captain of the free trader, passed unnoticed in unsafe space. That's. You're... Yes. Yes, the peregrination, as some folks call it. Though, we're not doing a lot of moving right now. The port engine seems to desperately want to be the starboard engine. Wait, are you here for a shoot? <laughs> well, I was, but... It seems like the Canals of Mars isn't here anymore. <sighs> Station manager said they went under. Something about Yukon Logistics and Nutrition Express issues... Deliveries weren't coming, but Yukon wouldn't turn off automatic billing. That's... That's not the first time I've heard that recently. The landlord turned it into a commissary when they bugged out. I rented out the kitchen. Our galley's out of commission right now. I just needed to make something. Well, since the canals of Mars is a bust, I've got some free time. Need some help? No, I... Uh, yeah. It's not food you'd like. It's really not fancy. If you've seen my show, you know that's the absolute last thing I care about. I know, but it's... Okay. You know what? It's for something called Celebration Cake. Celebration Cake? Yeah, it's a thing we make. Usually the captain makes it. Actually goes with the whole... Weddings and funerals, part of the job? Sounds like it's got a story to it. Yeah. I don't know if, um... Listen. The camera's off, the audio drone's off. I'm off the clock. No. No, you know what? This is a good story. And I don't think it's one folks have heard before. But I think they should. If you want, I can tell it on camera. Sure. Let me get set up. Can you even operate those? <laughs> you don't think I've always had a production crew, do you? Oh, more than just a pretty face for the camera, then. Okay. We are rolling. So, count to two in your head, then just give me a nice clean intro. Like, I'm Captain Jasmine Duvalskin, captain of... 
I'm Captain Jasmine Devalskin, captain of the free trader Pass Unnoticed in Unsafe Space. Perfect. I'm recently divorced, but not too recent. I work too much, I wear a size 6 boot, my favourite colour is emerald green, my favourite PNG team is the... Uh... <laughs> okay, okay, that's good. Uh... Okay. Can you just confirm that you're okay with me recording this? Yes, it's okay for you to record this. You may have to check with your folks and... I may have to check with mine, but hey, I'm a captain. A lot of what we know about your, the, the pair of... It's okay. People will know what you mean if you say peregrination. I'm, I'm just going to redo that. A lot of what folks know about the peregrination is, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, incomplete at best. Just like everyone else who ventured out into the black and made a life out here, folks on the pass unnoticed and unsafe space brought some of their home with them, and build the rest as they go. Now, I wasn't planning on this particular story, but sometimes life throws you a rogue bronco, and you just have to match spin with it. So today on Delta V Dining, we're going to learn about Celebration Cake. Well, this is the story. I don't know if it's true, but it's true enough. It was back in the first year, about... Nine months in? The ships had recently been turned away from Rezanov Station by a Navy detachment, even though they'd been requesting medical aid and food. You know, basic humanitarian stuff? Navy'd even shot a few rounds in their direction, just to make a point. No one realised it at the time, because there were a lot of folks learning the trades as they went back then. But one of those rounds had put the tiniest crack in the reactor wall of the Barroso. Nothing that would trip any alarms immediately, but one of those long-term problems that makes itself known a little too late to do anything about it. Well, it became a problem a few weeks later. Radiation warnings, intermittent system failures, the whole maintenance board lighting up like a solar flare. They knew they'd have to abandon it. There simply wasn't enough gear left to do the kind of salvage op it needed. So, Archer ordered non-essential ships to a safe perimeter and sent in a scow to pull out anything and everything that wasn't thoroughly irradiated. The leak was worse than they'd thought. The wreckers were coming back with their exposure badges filled up after one run. So they cycled healthy folks through. Even Archer went in on the second or last run. She unloaded about half a ton of survival biscuits and instant coffee, even though she was probably half-starved and weary to the bone. Hell, everyone was. The whole fleet was on quarter rations at that point. And that's where she was. Sitting on tins of the most boring food you can imagine when the news came in. The last run the scow made. The leak must have cracked wide open right then. Comms went dead, and it looked like the scow lost main power. All the lights went out, and it crashed straight into the Barroso. Thing was, the pilot of that scow was Archer's daughter, so there was no way it was pilot error. Now, you'll remember I said this was about nine months in. That's an important number. In the middle of all this, a young woman was in labour, 
She'd been one of the folks rescued from the Neptune complex and had become, in the family way, in the aftermath when we were all finding comfort in each other. Or maybe her young man had been on the scow too. The, the story's different depending on who's telling. Anyway, she has a normal, healthy, uncomplicated birth, and the very first family baby is born. While down the hall, Archer is running out of compartments to compartmentalize in. She comes out of that cargo hold raging about the noise, clearly in a bit of an uncontrolled spin. Then she sees this little pink thing hollering its head off and surrounded by people who are in that strange middle space between grief and elation. Well, Archer, she looks around, grabs a cart and goes off without a word. No one sees her for an hour, and she comes back with this big dish and a serious expression on her face. She says, I don't really know how this is going to taste, but I had something like it on Luna once, I think. And she cuts out a piece for the new mum. She'd taken those survival biscuits, soaked them in non-dairy creamer and instant coffee, and topped it with the last couple of packets of hot cocoa mix. She says, I know it's not much, but it's important to mark time. And it really was the best thing folks had eaten in a long while. Later, as she's holding that baby, Archer says, This isn't going to be the last time we say goodbye. And it isn't going to be the last time we say hello. We're going to have harder times ahead of us, and happier too. What we've all got to do is forge sorrow into joy and find flavour in ashes. She probably said more, and less pretty than that. But that's what folks remember. So that's why we make celebration cake every time we say hello for the first time, or goodbye for the last. Which is it this time? It's a goodbye. Henry Farson and... We didn't have any survival biscuits on hand. Well, I think I saw some of the tins back there. Let's get to work. And we did. We found a big tin of survival biscuits in the emergency shelter, about six months before their expiration date. Don't worry, we notified station maintenance that needed replacing. Instant coffee was easy to come across, but shelf-stable cream was in short supply. We found a big tub of flash-frozen mascarpone cheese, of all things. It was a little chunky, but here's a tip. You can revive frozen mascarpone if you whip it in a stand mixer. If you're feeling fancy, you can add a little bit of flavoring to the dairy. Vanilla's the easy route. Fiore di Sicilia, if you've got it. And, of course, there's always coffee liqueur, or a nice Martian bourbon. It's a pretty classic icebox cake, all told. Make layers of cracker and filling, dust with cocoa, cover it, and pop it in the fridge until it softens up. While we waited, Jasmine told me about the life on a free trader ship. She told me some of the story of Henry Farson. We swapped favorite outer system food stops, and she told me some 
very interesting things about a certain mushroom. And all too soon, it was time for Jasmine to get back to her ship, and for me to track down the rest of my crew. Look, Captain, you've told me a lot today. I, I really do genuinely appreciate this window you've given me into the Peregrine... Into your family. And I'd love to open that to my audience. But I feel like you're in a moment of emotional vulnerability, and... I'm not gonna take advantage of that to tell someone else's secrets, you know? How about... I... Just... Delete this recording. Maybe you could write down the recipe for that cake, though? Keep it. Are you sure? Yes. There's a difference between a secret and something you've just never found the right time to share. Anyway, I've seen your show, remember? If there's anyone that can tell this the right way. It's you. That's... I promise this will be what I think you want it to be. Space is really big. But the parts of it we've actually settled? They're pretty small. It is so, so important that we find common ground. Find ways to connect with the people next door. And a really good way to do that is with a meal. Or even just cooking something important together. I didn't plan this meeting. I couldn't have hoped for this meeting. But having it here, with you watching, well, I sure hope that you remember it like I will, and mark time in your own way. Celebration cake isn't an unusual recipe, but making it without considering why it's being made, it loses something vital. The peregrination, as folks call them, are humans. Out in the black, making the best of things day to day, just like any of you. Jasmine, I hope this episode lives up to your expectations. I hope that you and the crew of the Pass Unnoticed and Unsafe Space manage to forge that sorrow into joy. And I hope to see you again someday. And maybe someday soon we'll invite you on board for more. I'd like that. I'm Jesse Fry, played by Audio Quinn, and these folks helped me bring Delta V Dining to you this season. Chef Som of Vincian Cafe is voiced by Lafayette Terrapong. Julia Demir from The Walnut Tree was voiced by Ali Amador. BF from Demos Delights was voiced by Jerry Harris. Dove Foster from Shepherd's Crossing was voiced by Emma Johanna Purinen. Avram from the Half Moon was voiced by Anna Stein. Sam was voiced by S.J. Riker. Captain Carmine Earl of Elsbeth's Shockwagon was voiced by Scott Paladin. Moriah from the freighter Shoulda Taken a Left was voiced by Rebecca Krauss. Akuna Lee from the Noodle Smelter was voiced by Kale Brown. Deborah Broski from Hephaestus Fuels was voiced by Daisy McNamara.
Captain Jasmine Devalskin of the Pass Unnoticed and Unsafe Space was voiced by Izzy Trevelyan. Mateo from Stuart and Mateo's Pastes was voiced by Quill Turner. Stuart from Stuart Mateo's Pastes was voiced by Jesse Hall. This episode, a compilation of Delta V Diners, was written and edited by Aaron Olson. Our theme, Blues for the Black, was composed by Michael Freitag, with vocals by Jeremiah, and lyrics by Scott Paladin. You can find links to learn more about our cast and crew in the show notes, and more information about our show at our website, breathingspace.lawofnames.com. Breathing Space is a Law of Names production.